Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode number 146 of the Necessary Roughness podcast, presented by Last Word on Sports. As always, I'm your host, Nicholas Donatic. Hope you all had a fantastic week as we push towards the tail end of October, and as we push towards the midpoint of the NFL season. We're not going to waste any time. It was a rather eventful week six slash beginning of seven here. So let's get right into it. Uh, number one, we're going to start with standout seven. Obviously, we're going to start the standout seven with the bigger story. And this one's kind of, I don't think we've ever done this before. Maybe once or twice with a team that played on Thursday Night Football. Um, bigger story, Arizona losing to Seattle or Arizona beating New Orleans. And we'll get started with the loss because... It was really emblematic of how this Arizona team has been pretty much since, like, what, week 12-ish, maybe, of last season? Beginning of last year, I had Arizona going a long way, and I was feeling like a pretty intelligent young man, I'll be honest with you. Then they start to have some issues with DeAndre Hopkins' health, and Cliff Kingsbury, who was brought in to be a quarterback guru slash whisperer slash offensive mind completely did not have any semblance of a game plan for how this offense was going to run without DeAndre Hopkins, which is concerning, I assume, um, if you are the owners, uh, the owner of the Arizona Cardinals, if you are a fan of the Arizona Cardinals, if you're Kyler Murray, um, it's a little concerning that, you know, well, we don't really have anything here, so... You take a look at this loss to Seattle. They give up only 19 points. The defense did not play poorly, considering this is a Seattle offense, which, granted, is being run by Geno Smith, but has Kenneth Walker III, Kenny Walker III, um, in that backfield, and he's looked pretty darn good once he got on the field. He was battling that early season injury. Combo that with Noah Fant, who's a pretty athletic tight end, DK Metcalf, who's still a premier receiver in this league, Tyler Lockett, who's still a top-tier-ish deep threat, uh, with pretty good hands, mind you. Holding them to 19, pretty good. Not gonna lie. However, your leading rusher was Kyler Murray. Granted, 10 carries for 100 would lead a lot of teams on a lot of Sundays. They didn't get much production out of Eno Benjamin. Connor didn't go in this one. Leading receiver was Zach Ertz. He had a decent game. Hollywood Brown, decent enough game, though he sustained an injury in this one. Rondell Moore... I don't know, I'm still not necessarily sold on if he's got, if he's going to reach the upside that everyone thinks he might. Um, I mean, it's neither here nor there, but this was a disappointing loss if you're an Arizona Cardinal fan. You're walking into this game at 2-3, and three, you're facing Seattle, who's also coming in at 2-3, and three, and you're thinking, alright, it's Geno Smith. Look, these Seahawks played their best game of the year already. They played it in week one. They just lost to the Saints. They gave up 39 to Andy Dalton and the Saints. Tyson, you know, Taysom Hill obviously ran for over 100 and Alvin Kamara. Okay, great. So maybe our running game could... No, your running game will do nothing and you will like it. Uh, then you get to the Thursday night game. DeAndre Hopkins is back, right? Murray still goes for under 250 yards. Goes for 204 and a touchdown. Eno Benjamin looks significantly better in this one. The running game as a whole, eh. But 12 carries for 92, it's what you want, right? DeAndre Hopkins looks like DeAndre Hopkins. 10 catches for 103. The rest of the passing game fades out of existence. I mean, Zach Ertz, 2 catches for 21. It, Robbie Anderson, new acquisition. Didn't really expect much. I mean, the guy was traded on Monday. And we'll talk about that a little later. But realistically, they win this game because the defense pulls off two pick sixes and Dalton throws them the ball three times. Dalton doesn't throw them the ball. Let's say you replace Andy Dalton with a replacement-level quarterback. Whoever that QB is that just popped into your head as, oh, he's mediocre enough. Um, sorry, Falcon fan. Let's say Mariota. Not because Mariota's the worst QB, but because usually I tend to think he's fairly conservative. He's not going to ruin a game for you. You put Mariota under center for the Saints in that game, I think they might win. Um, so for that reason, for me, I guess the bigger story has to be the win, because DeAndre Hopkins looked pretty good, and you thought he would, but at the same time, the takeaway from the win is this team is not, as of right now, 
just going to jump back in to being that top-tier contender that they were for the first 10-plus weeks of last season. Because you plug Hopkins back in, you start thinking, okay, well, let's see what they can do. Well, what they can do is barely beat the Saints at home. I mean, come on. I know people say, well, the scoreboard doesn't tell all the story. Yeah, I mean, it kind of does. Saints put up 17 in the fourth quarter. I get it. They made it closer as the game went on, but you have to close games to win. Not to mention, this is a game against a team that you should beat. The Saints, without their starting QB, without Michael Thomas in this one, you should beat that team. Enough said. The bigger story is the win, but not necessarily for the reason I bet a lot of Cardinal fans would want it to be. Number two in the standout seven, bigger story, NFC contenders going down to upsets. Bigger story, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers losing at not Heinz Field to the Pittsburgh Steelers, or the Green Bay Packers losing at home. I think you all know the answer, but we'll play through the game just to honor the spirit of the game. Um, Tom Brady goes 25 of 40 with 243 yards, a touchdown, and at least one tirade on the sideline. Uh, Fournette was all right. I mean, you talk about 27 touches for 101 and a touchdown. Not bad. Uh, Chris Godwin contributed. At the end of the day, they just didn't score enough. I mean, they lost to a Pittsburgh Steeler team who had their rookie QB in, who was 11 for 18 for 67 yards. Now, for those of you that are not math majors out there, that's not very good. We're talking under four yards in attempt. Yes, four 18 times 4 is 72. So Mitchell Trubersky comes in. Or, uh, yeah, I still haven't come up with a... uh, Mitchberg was what I went with, right, when he was starting. Mitchberg comes in here, and he goes 9 of 12 for a buck 44 and a touchdown. Um, Enough said. Was it a fluke game? Probably. Will Mitchburg come out of the shadows and lead Pittsburgh on a run? No. Will Pickett do it? No. Will this impact the NFC in the long run? Yeah. Because Tampa Bay dropping to 3-3 is very significant when the Philadelphia Eagles are sitting at 6-0. Remember, we're hunting for buys here, you know what I mean? If you're a playoff team, and I'm operating under the assumption the Buccaneers are going to find a way to win that division, a division with a 1-5 Carolina team without their head coach and their star running back, which we'll get to, a Saints team that's 2-5 minus their starting quarterback on a new coaching regime, uh, and a Falcons team that is, honestly, you know, they're 3-3. Three and three. They're better than everyone thought they would be, present company included. I still tend to think Tampa Bay finds a way to come out of that one, but the important thing is, like I said, Minnesota at 5-1. and one. You look at the NFC West, they're all 3-3 three and three except for the Cardinals, and Philly at 6-0. and oh. Philly right now, they got a one-game lead in their division. You talk about seeding, they've got a three-game lead over Tampa Bay and San Fran, who's tied with everybody else. they got a one-game lead over Minnesota, which we'll get to in a little bit. So, big loss. Am I shaken in my confidence that Tampa Bay is going to win this division? No. However, I'm not as confident at the beginning of the season uh, that we'll see Tampa Bay in the NFC Championship game. I think they'll round into form here, but we're starting to see some cracks in the foundation of a Super Bowl contender. Speaking of cracks in the foundation that were apparent before the season started, Green Bay's offense is not good. Intriguing. Um, Their passing offense, at least. Their running game was not great against the New York Jets, ironically. 19 carries for 60 yards from their two-headed monster, Rodgers goes 26 of 41 for 246 and a touchdown. Robert Tunyon had a good game. That's about it. I mean, Lazard goes 4 for 76. It's one of those things you've got to wonder, particularly when we talk about later Robbie Anderson getting dealt on a Monday immediately. Like, when they were building this team, were they just thinking, we'll just run all over everyone and we'll play good defense and you know what? That'll be enough. We we won't have to put up points, right? We, We won't have to. Um, the Jets special teams was fantastic in this game. They blocked a field goal, right? Green Bay then blocked a punt. And then I believe later on the Jets also blocked a punt. So not a, not a perfect day special teams wise for the Jets, but a darn good one. Brees Hall looked great. 
Zach Wilson continued to not really show me anything. Um, their passing game wasn't much. And then Eli Moore requested a trade. Yeah, let's talk about that one for a split second here. Eli Moore, who was a decent player for the New York Jets last year, talking about a guy that had 43 grabs in six starts, 11 games total. I mean, 77 targets for 43 grabs is not it, but considering the quality of quarterback play he might have been dealing with, I'm not going to hold it against him. 538 yards, five touchdowns. The guy looked like a contributor, right? He looked like a decent NFL contributor for a wide receiver that, you know, second-round pick. He's not super heralded, but he's not a no-name. And all of a sudden, the team's playing well, but I guess partially due to the fact that he's just not getting playtime and he's not getting targets, then, well, he doesn't want to be on the team. And I guess I can understand that. But at the end of the day, if you're going to say that, you got to be, at least in my opinion, you got to be a somebody, no? Like, you got to be a veteran to where it matters that you're requesting a trade. Like, I'm not trying to be rude here, but let's let's be completely freaking honest. Robbie Anderson on the trade block for less than 24 hours, he's got a home. I'm sure somebody would be interested in Elijah Moore, but, I mean, come on. You haven't really shown that you can be an NFL-caliber contributor. Does everyone think you can? Sure, I think you can, but... We have to be we have to be honest here. We we can't mess around and just say, oh yeah, you know, well he'll be good. Yeah, we'll throw a third rounder at it. Like no, that's not really how it goes. It's also very brazen as a second year player to demand a trade like that. I mean, I I can respect the uh, the chutzpah, if you will, to keep it PG. But at the same time, it's a uh, it's a little ridiculous. But to each their own, I guess. Um, what's the bigger story here? It's, I think it's Green Bay. Because as I said, Tampa Bay's going to win their division. It would shock me if Atlanta wins that division. That would, I can put that on, uh, you know, October the 22nd here. I can put that out there. If the Atlanta Falcons win the NFC South, I will be shocked. Um, not because they're a particularly bad team, but because Tampa Bay is, I would say, significantly better at the very least on paper, and at some point, paper does matter. Um, also worth noting, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, you know, I love to tease it a little bit later, Green Bay is chasing Minnesota, as we alluded to. We'll talk about Minnesota, but, like, you can't keep spotting them games, guys. This was a game at home against the New York football Jets. This is a red flag game if you're a Packer fan. Is this, oh, we were sleepwalking, oh, you know, whatever, like, uh, we'll get them next, like, sleepwalking for what? Like, you don't play Buffalo until week eight. What, are you sleeping through the Giants game, too? You sleeping through New England, where you had to go to overtime? I mean, I get it, you beat Tampa Bay, but right now, that's looking like a boxing match in the back of class between two kids that aren't paying attention. Like... It's not the heavyweight title fight we thought it would be. Will it end up that way at the end of the year? It very well might, but you guys got to get in gear. We're pushing towards the halfway point. Bigger story, Green Bay losing at home. Next, bigger story, that very Jets victory, or the New York football giants finding a way to win at home versus Lamar Jackson. Um, I, can I say both? We talked about the Jets' win, and I said that it didn't really show me too, too much for Zach Wilson, but it did show me a good amount for Robert Sala and the way this team's sort of putting together their culture, so to speak. And I know that's a word that gets thrown around. It's a buzzword, yada, yada, yada. But in all seriousness, like, this team fought on the road. They're 3-3 they're at half, right? It's a game that's up in the air. And sometimes that's good enough for a bad team. Be like, eh, you know, we were in there for most of the game, whatever, sure. They wind up leading into the fourth quarter 17 to 10, and it's like, okay, well, they're on upset alert, but are they really going to win? Yeah, they were good enough, they being the Jets, to hold off the Green Bay Packers. Brees Hall looked good. A lot of people coming into the draft thought he'd be one of the better backs in the draft, if not the best back. He looked pretty good. Uh, what does that mean for Michael Carter, who was pretty decent last year? He's kind of in a change-of-pace role. 
I don't know. I mean, if anybody's going to demand a trade by the end of the year, it might be Michael Carter. If Brees Hall keeps playing like this, he's not going to get any burn. But, uh, yeah. Like I said, the defense did the job. I mean, they come out of this one with four sacks. Two sacks for Quinn and Williams. Big Q. Doing the job. Um, I don't think it's really fair. And this is rare for me to say. I don't think it's really fair for me to pick one of these. We'll get into the Giants here. Um, the Giants had no business winning this game, but Lamar Jackson made sure they won this game. Um, you're talking snap over the head, throw the ball directly to the other team, and then Kayvon Thibodeau coming through, finally getting a strip sack, and then just straight up saying, no, Lamar, you're not getting the ball back. And then the Giants eventually recovering. I mean, Kenyon Drake, 10 carries for a buck 19. He was great. Lamar ran for 77 on his own. Not bad. His completion percentage was not very good, just a hair over 50%, which is not what you want from elite quarterback Lamar Jackson. Uh, Mark Andrews had a game, as most elite tight ends tend to do against the New York football giants. But on the other side of the field, I mean, Saquon Barkley winds up with 25 touches for 95 yards in this one. I think he had a little bit of a shoulder issue at one point, but that's a pretty good game. Daniel Bellinger looks like a decent contributor at tight end. A guy that, when I was looking at this roster towards the tail end of the preseason, I was thinking, well, I guess he is just going to be the starting tight end by default. And now you're looking at it like, no, this, this guy's pretty good. You know, they they had faith, I guess, in him. Either that or they stepped in it a little bit. But either way, good on the Giants. Wandale Robinson was on the field. He had three catches and a touchdown. You know, being on the field for a Giants receiver at this point... That's a W, right? Especially when you're talking about maybe a guy like Kadarius Toney, who they said might get traded, even though they said that before and it didn't happen. Um, he can't stay on the field. So, for the Giants, that was a win. It's a massive win, if I'm being completely honest. We're talking about a team that in back-to-back weeks upset the Green Bay Packers and the Baltimore Ravens. And look, I know they were playing against Cooper Rush, but they almost pushed the Dallas Cowboys to overtime, which was not the easiest thing in the world when you consider the fact that Cooper Rush kind of did the darn thing as the starting quarterback. He beat the Rams, right? Like, we can't ignore that. He beat the Bengals. This is a pretty good Dallas team. And honestly, this is a pretty good New York Giants team. Bigger story? Both. Both tremendously. Now, I will say this. We'll spend some time on this one. Before we move on from number three, let's look at the remaining games. And let's look optimistically, pessimistically here. The New York Jets are coming in at 4-2 and two to their game this week against the Denver Broncos, who, to my understanding, are not going to have Russell Wilson, but we'll go through the injury reports when we get to the pick'em portion of the episode. Let's say they beat Denver. We're talking 5-2, and two, right? Let's say, and we're doing pie in the sky, let's say they beat the Patriots. We're going 6-2. and two. They're not beating Buffalo at home. Or on the road. So we'll go 6-3. and three. They go to Foxborough. Let's say they split, right? 6-4. and four. They can beat the Jets, 7-4. and four. Can they beat Minnesota? I think that's a hard one. I'm going to go 7-5. and five. Then they play the Bills in Buffalo. That's a guaranteed loss, unless Buffalo's got nothing to play for. But there's way too many games left for that to be the case. 7-6. and six. Can they beat Detroit? Yes. 8-6. and six. Can they beat the Jaguars? Yes. 9-6. and six. Can they beat Seattle? Yes. 10-6. and six. Miami in week 17, sorry, week 18. What do they have to play for? We'll find out. Let's say 10-7. and seven. That is a tremendously successful season for the Jets. Now, if you're being pessimistic, and we'll talk picks later, as we usually do, are you sure they're going to beat the Broncos? I'm just putting it out there. Are you 100% sure Zach Wilson is going to not turn the ball over? Because this Denver defense has been pretty good. And Melvin Gordon is a pretty decent running back still at this point in his career. Fumble problems occasionally notwithstanding. There's still some talent on the outside for that team. All right. Just put it out there. Let's say Broncos get one over on him. You think you think Bill Belichick, who's pushing towards a record, can't get his, his gang rallied together? I mean, Bailey Zappi was doing the darn thing last week. Could we slip to 4-4? Four and four? We being the Jets. I'm not a Jet fan. Buffalo, could we slip to 4-5? and five? Could we lose to New England again? Could this kind of lead into a slide 
is my point. The games that I would say are easily up in the air or winnable would be Denver, the Chicago Bears, the Detroit Lions, the Jaguars, and maybe Seattle. They're already at four wins. So you're saying conservatively they could win eight? That's doable. I mean, would it shock me if they won six? No. But they could end this season at eight and nine, even though they started four and two. And I don't think that would be a bad year. I mean, I think right now New England is better than them, but we'll see. Right? Could they split with them? Sure. Could they beat Denver? Sure. Could they beat all those teams I just named? Of course they could. Could they win the game against Miami where Miami's got nothing to play for? I, situationally, I don't know how that would happen, but it's possible, right? It's not impossible. You head across the stadium to the other locker room, the New York football giants, and they are entering at 5-1. and one. They've got Jacksonville this week. It's winnable, 6-1. and one. They've got Seattle, maybe 7-1. and one. They've got Houston. I mean, are the New York Giants getting to 8-1, and one, facing Detroit, going to 9? Are they entering Dallas on Thanksgiving as a 9-1 football team? Because they just went through their little version of the gauntlet there. They had Dallas with Chicago in the middle, then they had Green Bay and Baltimore. Now they've got the cupcakes. They've got Jacksonville, Seattle, Houston, Detroit. I mean, it's not impossible. It's not likely. Let's say they split, right? Be conservative. They're walking in at 7-3 and three to the Dallas Cowboys on Thanksgiving. Probably a loss, 7-4. and four. Let's say they split their games with the Commanders, right? We're talking 8-5. and five. Let's say they lose the first one to Philly, but Philly's got nothing to play for in Week 18. Let's say they split. We're talking 9-6. and six. They've got at Minnesota on Christmas Eve and home against the Colts on New Year's Day. That would determine the season if that's how that were to play out. I don't know. Could we see both New York teams back in the playoffs? Could we see both New York teams back in the playoffs in the same year that we saw both New York baseball teams in the playoffs? Could we see the Knicks in the play? No, this isn't a New York show. We don't need to go there. But it is worth noting, it's it's pretty impressive to come out of nowhere like this, like both New York teams have done. Particularly, I'll give the edge to Dable because it, it, he's been there less than a year. But I will give my kudos as well to Roberto Salad, as I like to call him, a.k.a. Robert Sala, because he said he's keeping receipts and I said he sounded silly. Well, you know what? Four and two, you can do your thing, man. You can call out however you want if you're four and two with a team like this. Because if you're 4-2 and two with a team like this, once the team actually gains talented players, which you hope as a Jets fan that they will, um, <laughs> then this, the sky's the limit. Number four in the standout seven, let's talk about the teardown of the Carolina Panthers, and let's get started with the biggest piece. The Carolina Panthers traded Christian McCaffrey to the 49ers for a 2023, excuse me, 2023, the upcoming draft, Second rounder, third rounder, fourth rounder, and a fifth rounder in the following year's draft. The big one, if you're San Francisco, I guess, is you didn't give up any first round draft capital, but you gave up damn near everything else, right? I mean, you can find contributors in the fifth, sixth, and seventh round, but it's significantly harder, in my opinion, having watched a good amount of football, to do so rather than just drafting, you know, name-brand talent from name-brand schools in the second round, the third round, whatever. Um, neither here nor there because they just acquired one of the most electric offensive talents in the game. And to do so, to pair him with Debo Samuel, opens up the playbook in a way that I don't know if Kyle Shanahan could have imagined at the beginning of the season because it's... <sighs> I don't know if everything Debo can do, Christian McCaffrey can do, right? Debo's obviously a better wide receiver. He's better in certain situations. But in terms of plugging and playing, they have things drawn up in their playbook already that Christian McCaffrey could do on a weekly basis. Whether it be screens, whether it be this, whether it be that. His, the utilization of him alongside Debo is going to be really interesting. Because how do you manage touches? You can, you know, take a little bit less from both of them in terms of uh, wear and tear on the body because they can fill similar roles in certain schemes. 
How many touches does a guy like Jeff Wilson still get? He's obviously not going to be your lead back, quote-unquote. But if you use McCaffrey in more of an X-Factor-ish role, almost a la Reggie Bush, though he's obviously, you know, more talented than Reggie was. I love Reggie Bush, but it's the truth. I mean, he can do some of those things. And also, you know, is it 15 carries and 6 catches? And then Debo is like 8 catches and what? Or... or eight catches and five carries? Like, what are we doing? It's it's going to be hard to manage. And the shame of it all is this was supposed to be the Trey Lance rookie year. You know what I mean? He, he sat on the bench for a while, and now this was going to be his breakout year. Can you imagine a backfield running triple option shenanigans with Trey Lance, Christian McCaffrey, and Debo Samuel? What other plays do you have to run in your playbook? Who, who is stopping that? I, I don't know. I mean... <laughs> Maybe there's some guys in the league that saw a whole bunch of triple option when they were in college. Those are the guys that would be able to stop an offensive attack like that. It would be ridiculous. Um, moving on in the teardown, though, Robbie Anderson obviously was beefing with the coaching staff during uh, Sunday's game and was very quickly sent to the locker room by Steve Wilkes. Then the following day was very quickly sent to the Arizona Cardinals after Hollywood Brown suffered an injury, and they were a little nervous about that. Um, yeah, I, it's weird. There's rumors that DJ Moore is going to be the next to go. There's rumors that, you know, could this extend to the defensive side of the ball as well? They've got some young players. I don't expect to see J.C. Horn or anything getting moved, uh, or Brian Burns, but maybe. I don't, I don't know. Is this a complete and utter teardown at this point? If that's the case, look, I'm going to be honest with you. If you're Steve Wilkes, obviously you want the opportunity to, you know, be the interim head coach and try and impress and try and get another head coaching gig. But, like, dude, like, what shot do you have of that happening when, realistically, you just traded away one of the most, you know, elite offensive talents in the league, then you trade away the guy that's probably your number two wide out, but he's a pretty talented wide receiver. Your QB's going through some injury troubles. I mean, if he pulls together a handful of wins with this, this would be very impressive because this team is is not it. They're not it. And it's a shame because, like I said, at the beginning of the year, you can look, look at, listen to the old episodes, right? You can look at the, uh, the titles even if you don't want to go through all of them. I had Carolina as my sleeper team, and boy, oh boy, is the egg so far on the face. You know, last year I got hit it right on the nose with Arizona. I mean, this year... Not so much with my boy Baker Mayfield. It, it did uh, did not go the way it was supposed to go for the Mayfield. And look, maybe they'll turn it around. I, I highly doubt it. But maybe they will. It's unfortunate, to say the least, for Panther fans. And it's been a rough few years. So, I feel for you. Number five in the standout seven. Are the Vikings for real? It's, it's an open question. Are the Vikings for real? I I don't know. I think every year the Minnesota Vikings field a roster that looks competitive in the NFC North. And every year, some way or another, it's whether it be injuries, whether it be underperformances here and there, whether it be the passage of time getting some of their veterans, they find ways to underachieve. I mean, Kirk Cousins is in the Hall of... He's alright. We like to talk about the Hall of Very Good, and we'll talk about Todd Gurley later. I think he falls into that as well. I mean, he aight. That, that's my take on Kirk Cousins. He, he just doesn't win big games. Maybe he will this year, I don't know. But I say that every year. And part of my, my issue with it is I, I've discussed it ad nauseum. Um, I, I just can't pick these guys. I don't know the rhyme or reason for it, but when I try to pick Viking games, when they're hot, I'm cold. When I'm cold, they're hot. It just doesn't work. Um, Dalvin Cook's a great running back. Alexander Madison is a tremendous backup running back. You take a look at their receiving core. Justin Jefferson, one of the best receivers in the league. Adam Thielen, still contributing as a veteran. Irv Smith, decent tight end. You know, KJ Osborne, decent, decent contributor. This is a team that should be good enough, but I mean, let's look at the upcoming schedule. I guess we're doing that a lot this week. I mean, the thing that motivated me to do this is they just beat Miami. But 
you know, this was a weird game from my perspective because Skylar Thompson, the third string quarterback, of course, started this game and then sustained an injury. And the thing that was intriguing to me is after he sustained the injury, they went to Teddy Bridgewater. So if Teddy Bridgewater was healthy enough to play, why didn't he start the game, Coach McDaniel? I'm, I'm a little at a loss on that one. I mean, he goes 23-34, 329, two touchdowns, two picks. The yardage is fantastic, but he's turning the ball over, which is something you don't really expect too, too much out of Teddy in a game that ends 24-16. to I mean, two touchdowns in a one-score game is... That's it, man. That's game over. You know, this game was 10-3 going into the fourth quarter. So it was doable from Miami's perspective, but it just they didn't get over that hump. So let's get to the schedule here. They've got Arizona next week. Vikings on the bye this week. Another reason we're bringing it up. Um, is it winnable? Yeah. Is it possible DeAndre Hopkins goes for like a buck 40 and Kirk Cousins throws the ball to Isaiah Simmons? Yeah, that's also possible as well. They've got the Commanders. Should be a win. They've got Buffalo. No shot. They've got Dallas. Could be a win. They've got New England. Could be a win. They've got the Jets. Could be. Should be. They've got a game at Detroit. They've still got the Giants. And they've still got the Bears. So we're talking about potentially, what, another six wins? You know, Detroit, New York, both New York teams, Chicago Bears, the Commanders, and then one more game? Is 11 wins going to be enough to get you there in the NFC this year? It just might. It's going to depend on which teams get hot, because right now, as we stand, you know, the wild card teams are the Giants at 5-1, and one, the Cowboys at 4-2, and two, and I don't have enough tiebreaker information at this point to pick which 3-3 three and three team is that final wild card team, because there are currently six of them in the NFC alone. Um, is Minnesota on paper... Better than, let's say, Atlanta. Yeah, of course. Are they better than Seattle? Yeah, of course. Are they better than the defending champion Rams? <sighs> I'm not sure about that. And we'll start number six in the standout seven with that. So, to answer the question from five, by the way, are the Vikings for real for once? I don't know. They appear to be, but it would not shock me if five and one turned into nine and eight. Number six in the standout seven. Better chance to bounce back. The Miami Dolphins, who are obviously battling injuries on the quarterback front, or the LA Rams, who are simply battling the Super Bowl champion hangover? I feel like usually I've heard Super Bowl hangover in the context of the Super Bowl loser, right? But uh, in this case, maybe not. Maybe not. Let's take a look real quick at the landscape. I said the Rams obviously are three and three in the crowded NFC. The Miami Dolphins are three and three in the crowded AFC. We talked about parity. Tom Brady said there's a lot of teams not playing that great this year, which I can understand his perspective. Um, right now we've got the Titans at three and two leading their division. The Colts at three, two and one, who they're facing this week, by the way, chasing them. Then hunting them in the wild card, we've got Cincinnati behind them. Um, we've got the Chargers technically tied, but by tiebreaker, they are a wild card team at four and two. The Jets at four and two, and the Patriots alongside the Dolphins at three and three. The entire AFC East is five hundred or better. When was the last time that happened? I feel like it's been a minute, uh, barring like a crazy week three situation or whatever. We're halfway through the year and this is happening. Better chance to bounce back. Honestly, I tend to think it may be Miami. I'm a big fan of Jalen Waddell. Obviously, I'm a huge fan of Tyreek Hill. I like Mike Gesicki, though I saw some articles saying he may be on the trade block, and that kind of hurt my head. That didn't make sense to me because I'm, I'm a big Gesicki guy, and, and just I don't get why you would give up Gesicki. Not like he's a star or something, right? But he's a darn good player. Why would you give up Gesicki when you're a contender? I don't get it. Anyway, um, the main question mark would be Tua, and I don't really know how to prognosticate what Tua is going to be as a passer when he comes back, right? Is he going to be the same QB? Is he going to be 
happy feet a little bit? Is he going to be, I don't know. Is he going to get another hit and then we're going to see something we've never seen before? I hope not. But that's how it was in that second game. And from what I read, Tua will be returning this week. We'll take a quick perusal here of the NFL.com injury report. And Tua is not listed, so... He's going to be back against Pittsburgh, a team with a decent defense and a little bit of a pass rush. Um, a little spooky. Um, but the thing is, I feel like I have to take the Rams. Now, I don't think either of these teams are going to win their division, right? I think right now, after the acquisition of Christian McCaffrey, you have to default to San Francisco being the team to beat in the NFC West. I'll say that with as many question marks in my voice as I can, but the fact of the matter is they're more catchable than Buffalo. I think Buffalo is easily a top three team in the league, right? I wouldn't say that about San Francisco yet. Let's see how the offense looks with McCaffrey and Debo, and if they get in there, right, and they're going crazy like they could be, like we're playing Madden, maybe. But right now as we sit, like I said, October the 22nd, I say it's the Rams more likely to recover, also because this has nothing to do with Mike McDaniel. I think Mike McDaniel's a pretty good head coach. Seems to be a relatively funny guy, which I guess wins you brownie points, but they've been playing pretty well for him, right? But I would say this. Sean McVay, at least by most people, is very highly regarded for his you know intellect as an offensive-minded head coach. And to me, the, the Rams' offense has just not been very good. So I don't know if it's dating back, like we always talk about, to that Matthew Stafford aging slash elbow kind of surgery he had. Um, or if it's just a matter of chemistry. Maybe he's not clicking with Robin. Robinson's been a dud so far. Though he was better last week against Carolina. Admittedly, right? I mean, he ended the game with five catches for 63, which I tend to think is at least his most in catches. I'm not sure about yardage, but he made an impact on that game. This is a team that, you know, put up nine points in Santa Clara against the Niners. This is a team that beat the Cardinals without their weapons by eight points. They're just not that great right now, but I'm going to default to Sean McVay finding a way to spin this around in the crowded NFC more than... The Dolphins, just because the question mark surrounding Tua's health is so impactful on their season and borderline unprecedented in terms of being a question mark at all. We've seen QBs coming back from ACLs. We've seen people coming back from back injuries, elbow surgery, shoulders, collarbones. This is a man's brain. So, you know, it it could be... It could be nothing the rest of the season. It Hopefully, for his sake, is nothing the rest of his life. But it could be one more big hit, and we're having a very uncomfortable conversation. I hope for the Dolphins' sake that's not going to happen, but with that in mind, I got to say the Rams have a better chance of turning around because it's just too gigantic of a question mark surrounding the Dolphins' play at quarterback. And I like Teddy Bridgewater, but I'm not certain he can do what Tua was doing with this offense. Number seven in the standout seven, I wanted to touch on this just because we touched on it last week, and there's more infighting in the ownership space in the NFL. Um, interesting to me, so we had Jim Irsay call out Daniel Snyder, the owner of the Washington Commanders, formerly the football team, formerly the name redacted, and he said, you know, well, we need 24 votes to, to remove Snyder as an owner. And, you know, we, we can't stand for what he's putting out there. And the team's PR quickly denied everything and anything he's been accused of. And Snyder explicitly said pretty much the same uh, himself. So, I mean, obviously it's ironic that Jim Irsay, the guy that I believe got a DWI with a whole bunch of pills in his car, is acting as the arbiter of morality for a league that doesn't really necessarily value that as much. Um, But I guess, technically speaking, that is the perfect way for the NFL to do that, right? Like, of course, it's the guy with the DWI who's trying to be the high morality guy in the room. Not, you know, the owners that have done charitable work or never had their name messed around in anything or or, or the Roonies. 
the Roonies who are always involved in, you know, obviously the Rooney rule, pushing forward minorities in the sport and things like that. Things that have good connotations around them. No, it's going to be Jim Ursay, the guy that people don't like for pushing, pushing Peyton Manning out the door, the guy that people don't like. Well, he didn't build the team around Luck, but he was there when Andrew Luck's career went into the, you know, the tank, so to speak, because of the lack of offensive line and him getting hurt. So it's him. And then supposedly there was at one point a vote held. I don't have the date on this, so correct me. Anywhere, comments, as usual, are on social media, at Nick Donatic, N-I-K-D-O-N-A-D-I-C. Um, there was a vote being held involving the renewal of Roger Goodell's contract, and the vote was supposedly 31 to 1, and the only one voting against, interestingly enough, was Jerry Jones, and I'm not really certain why. And then supposedly Jerry Jones had a little bit of an expletive-laden tirade towards Robert Kraft, and he told him to come bleep with him or something of that sort. Very interesting. I don't know why that would be a thing. And then, of, of course, you have the other the other thing worth mentioning, that it was, you know, Robert Kraft at one point was supposedly seen as not viewing Goodell in a good light because of the suspension of Tom Brady and casting, you know, shadows on the dynasty that was there. But apparently that's not a thing anymore. I, it's very bizarre that we're getting, like, you know, schoolyard drama with billionaires that are owning these franchises. Also worth noting, I think it's interesting to me, that Jim Irsay made it public. I didn't know this before. Maybe you guys did. 24 votes is what you need to remove another owner. I mean, that that's pretty hard to get. That's like up there with, you know, passing an amendment in the U.S. government. Like, it, it's just hard to do. Um, even if it's something that's viewed majority in favor which I guess at this point the removal of Snyder would be, I mean, getting 24 out of 32, excuse me, 24 out of 31, well, I guess it'd be 23 out of 31 if we're being exactly correct. 24 votes is a high bar, and I understand why they have it. It's to protect against, you know, I guess things like what happened to, what's his name, Donald Sterling? I mean, a lot of people believe that that was rightfully done, but either way, the NFL wanted to safeguard against something like that being done, but I don't know. I mean, they were trying to force the Panthers owner to sell at one point. The whole thing is bizarre. I, I just had to get it in here because I think it's really interesting to see them beefing for absolutely no reason. Um, news and notes before we get into the pick em portion of this week's episode. Um, let's see. Dak Prescott is going to be back this week for the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, Kyler Murray was seen frustrated Thursday night football. Maybe it was nothing. Maybe, you know, people always like to pick on him. Maybe he was trying to get home to play the new MW2 campaign and such. Ha ha ha. Um, Russell Wilson, I believe is a no go. We'll get into the injuries specifically. So we'll see what he's listed at on NFL.com. I heard that Hackett wanted to hold him out because he has a hamstring injury. In addition to the lat injury, he was already fighting off. Um, rumors that Kadarius Tony was going to be dealt. We talked about that already. Um, Joe Noteboom is going to be out for the year for the LA Rams. Carson Wentz out four to six weeks for the Commanders. Deshaun Jackson, for some reason, is back in the league in Baltimore. Okay. Um, Sammy Watkins is going to be back for the Green Bay Packers. J.K. Dobbins is out again for the Baltimore Ravens. I believe he's having surgery. He's going to be out for four to six weeks, which is a big one. Because, I mean, I'm a J.K. Dobbins guy. I think he's a pretty darn good running back, but injuries, again... It's one of those things that can not only derail a career, but it could really, it could lead to a change of scenery. If somebody steps in and all of a sudden they're the guy, you're going to have to find somewhere to go. And I know obviously he's not getting hurt on purpose. I'm not trying to insinuate anything like that. I'm just saying that it's a very precarious situation to find yourself in for a very talented young man. Um, also, speaking of very talented running backs, Jonathan Taylor, supposed to be back this week for the Indianapolis Colts so they can take on the Titans at close to full strength. That'll bring us to the end of my standout seven for this week, and that'll bring us to my favorite part, your favorite part of each week's episode, the pick portion of the Necessary Roughness podcast. We're coming off a seven and seven. We're not doing great. You know, we've only had one week this year under 500, but we really, we haven't hit our stride yet. We really haven't, you know. I mean, we, we talk about looking back at last week and some of the picks that I was hazy on. I picked the Browns, and I said I wasn't really confident the Browns go out and lose, right? Um, 
Who else did I pick last week? That I oh no, sorry, that was uh, no, yeah, that was last week. I picked the Dolphins. Hazy on that. Boom, go out and uh, lose for me. I picked the Rams. Hazy on that. They brought home a win, so eh. uh, wound up picking Buffalo, which was a good one. That was a great game. It, it's odd that we went this whole episode without talking about Bills Chiefs. So I'll give you a minute on it. Quite honestly, I don't think we learned anything. I don't think we learned a darn thing. I think they're very evenly matched teams. I mean, we're talking 10-10 at half, 17-17 going into the third, 24-20. Kansas City's got the ball and a chance to win it. And for one of the few times in his career, Patrick Mahomes just didn't get it done. And you're never going to have a player, whether it be in baseball, basketball, football, soccer, hockey, whatever you want to talk about, that is going to be flawless in the clutch situations. Kobe Bryant missed game winners. Michael Jordan missed game winners. Derek Jeter struck out in ninth innings. It's just the way it is. So uh, I was impressed with the contributions they got from Juju Smith-Schuster, they being the Kansas City Chiefs, obviously. I did like to see a little bit more Jarek McKinnon and Mecole Hardman mixed in there. Weird to see Pacheco backburnered so hard after they talked about him so much a few weeks ago, but I don't know. I was very impressed with Buffalo's willingness to run the football. And I think that is the difference maker. And I said that in my pick last week. If Buffalo is willing to run the ball, they can win the Super Bowl. They can. They can win the Super Bowl outright. You know what I mean? Straight away. If you told me they'd run the ball 20 20 to 28 times a game, or even more, I would say that they probably went down and won the Super Bowl. You know, for the rest of the year, 24 carries a game. Average. That's it. It's just that simple. It's they get so one dimensional sometimes that it's you're putting all that pressure on your QB and he's sometimes they're leading rusher. Singletary was great in this game, 17 for 85. Do the job. You don't need to run for 150 yards. Just do the job. Gabriel Davis did the thing where you know he was unguardable for a little bit there. Three catches for 75 and a touchdown. Dawson Knox contributed. Stephon Diggs had a great game, and they won on the road. They can win in Kansas City, and guess what? Kansas City can win in Buffalo if they do the same thing. Run the ball. Not saying it's the be-all, end-all. Not saying it's the 1980s all over again. But it's important. There's only two ways you can matriculate the ball down the field in football, guys. This isn't basketball where you can have a whole bunch of isolations or you can run a whole bunch of, uh, you know, pick and rolls or you can, you know, play zone on defense. So you can do this, that, and the third. There's 17 different schemes. When you're on offense in the NFL, you're running it or passing it. That's kind of it. And if you're not going to run it or you can't run it, it's going to be a little hard to get the other one done. That's my Chiefs Bills take there. I probably won't be in the description or anything of the episode, but I figured we should touch on it. Um, so let's get into NFL Week 7. We've been waiting long enough here. Our first game, a 1 o'clock kick, is between the Cleveland Browns and the Baltimore Ravens from Baltimore. The Browns going to be without lineman Joe Haig and Wyatt Teller on the offensive side and Denzel Ward on the defense. Questionable D-lineman Jadevian Clowney and Isaac Rochelle. Out for the Ravens, as we said, J.K. Dobbins. Questionable a laundry list, and it's not a good one, Ravens fans. Patrick Ricard at fullback with a knee. Rashad Bateman at wide receiver with a foot. Mark Andrews with a knee, though I've read that he is supposedly going to play this week, per Adam Schefter. Um... Ronnie Stanley on the O-line, Ben Cleveland on the O-line, Morgan Moses on the O-line, Justin Houston, a linebacker, and Marcus Peters at corner. That's a lot of injuries. However, I think Baltimore is just better than Cleveland. It's going to be one of those things. Cleveland's lane to victory, so to speak, is ball control and doing their thing. But Baltimore usually runs the ball a good amount themselves, so it's going to be a little weird, to be honest. But this might be a game that goes, you know... 21-17, and it's just long drive after long drive. Either way, give me Baltimore to win at home. Our next game is a matchup in the NFC South for the now-depleted Carolina Panthers, playing host to the Buccaneers. Um, I mean, the Bucs are going to be without a whole bunch of people here. They're going to be without Julio Jones with a knee, Cameron Brait with a neck, D-lineman Akeem Hicks with a foot, two corners in Murphy Bunting and Carlton Davis with a quad and hip, respectively. Questionable, Shaq Mason on the O-line with an ankle and safety Mike Edwards with an elbow. The Panthers, doubtful, Baker Mayfield with an ankle and D-lineman Matt Ioannidis with a concussion. 
questionable. LaVisca Chenault at receiver with a hamstring. Offensive lineman Pat Elfline, excuse me, with a hip. Taylor Moten with a knee. Linebacker Frankie Louvu with a shoulder. Corners J.C. Horn and Dante Jackson and C.J. Henderson with a rib injury, ankle injury, and concussion, respectively, as well as safety Sean Chandler with a hammy. Too many injuries for the Panthers, plus I I think they're phoning it in, man. They're phoning it in. I know these guys are playing hard, they want to win, and I'm sure Steve Wilkes will try his best to uh, make them put up a fight, but uh, no, no, They're, they're not good enough. Give me the Bucks to win this one on the road. Next, we've got an interesting upset pick here, brewing potentially. The Atlanta Falcons head to Cincinnati to take on the Bengals. Falcons going to be without wide receiver Jared Bernhardt with a groin injury and defensive back D. Alford with a hammy. For the Bengals, they're going to be without two on the D-line, Jeffrey Gunter with a knee and Josh Tupu with a calf, as well as linebacker Logan Wilson with a shoulder. Doubtful wide receiver Stanley Morgan, no, not Morgan Stanley, with a hammy. I'm going to take the Bengals, but I'm telling you in advance, this could for some reason be an interesting game. I know no Cordero Patterson, and then more li- more likely than not, the Bengals find a way, but the Falcons are the spread beaters in the NFL, and there's no better way to beat the spread as a dog than to win. I'm just saying, if you're feeling froggy, this could be the one to leap. Or maybe this one, as the Detroit Lions head to Dallas to take on the returning Dak Prescott and the Dallas Cowboys. Detroit going to be without a handful of players here. Wide receiver DJ Chark with an ankle injury. Offensive lineman Matt Nelson with a calf. Defensive lineman Charles Harris with a groin injury. Corner Bobby Price with a knee. And safety Ifitu Melifanwu with an ankle. Pretty pretty decent job by me on that name. Questionable. Huge one. DeAndre Swift. Wide receiver Josh Reynolds with a knee. D-lineman John Kaminsky with a wrist. Linebacker Chris Board with a knee. And corner Will Harris with a hip. Cowboys listing just one. Matt Waletsko on the O-line out with a shoulder. I'm taking Dallas, but this was a Detroit offense that was fantastic, If you know, up until they played New England. So would it shock me if they put up some points here? Not necessarily, but it also wouldn't shock me if Jared Goff threw the ball to Diggs and he ran it back, or Micah Parsons got a strip sack or two or three. Next, a pretty interesting one here, the... The London Powerhouses, this is a rematch actually of the first ever London game, if memory serves. The New York Giants head to Jacksonville to not take on the Tom Coughlin-led franchise, as he's no longer there. Uh, Formerly Tom Coughlin-led Jacksonville Jaguars. Giants going to be without Kadarius Toney with a hammy, Kenny Galladay with a knee. Oh no, Kenny Galladay won't play. Giants fans, you're so so sad. Uh, D-lineman Aziz Ojolari with a calf, linebacker O'Shane Zimenez with a quad, and DB Cordell Flop with a calf injury. Questionable John Feliciano with a groin on the O-line and DB Jason Pinnock with an ankle. Jaguars going to be without wide receiver Jamal Agnew with a knee and corner Shaq Griffin with a back, which is a big one. I know the Giants aren't great at passing the ball, but that's a big injury. Uh, Questionable wide receiver Marvin Jones, defensive lineman Devon Hamilton and Foley Fatukasi, as well as outside linebacker Foye Olukun. I'm taking the Giants to win this one. I think they should. Um, However... This is one of those things. When you take bad teams and they're supposed to win, they don't. That's just the way it works. We had Detroit against New England. New England had a backup QB. Detroit could not put up a point. Would it shock me if Trevor Lawrence beat the Giants here? Not at all. Not one bit. Give me the Giants on the road, but my goodness, it'll be a, it'll be a scary one, I think, for Giants fans. Um, next, the Green Bay Packers head to Washington to take on the Commanders. Uh, the Packers going to be without wide receiver Christian Watson with a hammy, Randall Cobb with an ankle, and offensive lineman Jake Hansen with a bicep injury. Questionable, left tackle David Bakhtiari with a knee, wide receiver Sammy Watkins, who I'm under the impression of was returning, uh, and D-lineman Devontae Wyatt with an illness. Commanders, as we said, without their quarterback Carson Wentz for a handful of weeks here. He's on IR with a finger injury. Uh, also going to be without running back Jonathan Williams with a knee, wide receiver Deami Brown, who had a great game a few weeks ago. He's going to have a groin injury. Uh, tight end Logan Thomas, who's still battling a calf, and corner William Jackson the third. Questionable, Jahan Dotson at receiver with a hammy, tight end John Bates with a hammy, and lineman Sam Cosme with a hand injury. 
this should be a game the Packers can win, particularly facing Taylor Heineke, not Carson Wentz, not like Carson Wentz is Peyton Manning, but backup QB in usually should mean something. This Green Bay team should be good enough to go on the road and right the ship. Give me Green Bay to win this one. Our final 1 o'clock kick is a huge AFC South matchup between the first and second place teams, the Tennessee Titans, hosting the Indianapolis Colts. Colts going to be without Kiki Kuti with a concussion, D-lineman Quiddy Pay with an ankle, Shaq Leonard, big one with a concussion, nose and back, and linebacker Jojo Demon with an abdomen injury. Uh, Abdominal injury? Listed as abdomen. Abdominal. Let's go with that. I think that would be right. Uh, the Titans, going to be without offensive lineman Nate Davis with a foot, fullback Torrey Carter with a neck, and two linebackers, Joe Jones and Zach Cunningham with a knee and an elbow, respectively. Questionable, just one wide receiver Kyle Phillips with a hamstring injury. Who do I have in this one? Well, with Jonathan Taylor coming back, and considering Matt Ryan just threw for, I believe, 350 last week, I'm going to take the Colts in this one. I'm a little shaky on it. I'd be lying to you if I said I wasn't, but... I'm going to take the Colts. I think the Titans are are taking a little bit of a step back this year. Somebody in that division's got to take a step up. And who knows, it might be the Jaguars by the end of tomorrow if this game ends in a tie again. But uh, <laughs> Or almost like the first one did. Give me the Colts to win this one on the road. Next, our first of two 405 kicks as the Houston Texans return to action against the Las Vegas Raiders from Allegiant Stadium in Vegas. Texans going to be without defensive lineman Jonathan Greenard with a calf injury. Also listed as questionable, wide receiver Chris Moore with a hip, tight end Brevin Jordan with an ankle, and offensive lineman Austin DeCoulis with an ankle. Big one for the Raiders. They're going to be without tight end Darren Waller in this one with a hammy. Questionable, also big, wide receiver Hunter Renfro is now battling a hip. Remember he had the concussion earlier in the year. Wide receiver Mac Hollins, who had the burst-out game a handful of weeks ago. He's got a heel injury. And linebacker Jayon Brown with a hammy. I'm taking the Raiders in this one. I think they're too good of a football team to be 1-5. They just are. They, you know, not all 1-4s are created equal. The Raiders are 1-4. The Texans are 1-3-1. The Raiders are a fairly significantly better team, I think. I think being the operative words there. Give me the Raiders to win this one at home. Next, that matchup we were talking about before, the New York Jets head to Mile High to take on the Denver Broncos. Now, if I told you this matchup was 4-2 and two versus 2-4 two and four at the beginning of the year, I think it's pretty obvious you'd go the other way, but the Jets are riding high. No Elijah Moore, for previously discussed trade-related reasons in this one, uh, also going to be out for the Jets, defensive lineman Jermaine Johnson the second with an ankle, questionable safety Ashton Davis with a hammy. The Broncos are officially without Russell Wilson battling that hamstring injury, as well as corner Isang Bassi with a hammy as well. Uh, doubtful, safety Caden Stearns with a hip, and questionable offensive lineman Quinn Miners with a foot, defensive lineman DJ Jones with an ankle, and Deshaun Williams with a back, as well as linebacker Josie Jewell with a knee. This is probably the wrong pick. I will say this in advance. I am taking the Broncos to upset the Jets because this is the way the NFL works, right? You know, the Broncos have been getting laughed at and all that things. And, oh, now now Russell's hurt, right? So what is going to be the most ironic thing that's going to happen? Well, Zach Wilson's going to find a way to lose this one on the road. Am I confident in it? Not necessarily, but it'd be very on brand for the Jets and for the league. Come on, Vegas has got to get over one of these days. Why not tomorrow? Give me Denver at home. Next, our lone 425 kick is a Super Bowl rematch. Who did the Chiefs aggravate to get these games back-to-back? They had Buffalo last week, and now the Kansas City Chiefs head to Santa Clara to take on the 49ers and their new acquisition, Christian McCaffrey, who's reportedly going to suit up in this one. Will we see him a lot? I doubt it, but we'll see him enough. Uh, The Chiefs going to be without corner Rashad Fenton with a hamstring injury. Questionable offensive lineman Joe Tooney with an ankle and D-lineman Mag Dana with a calf. The Niners going to be without Eric Armstead, Eric Armstead, excuse me, on the defensive line with a foot and ankle injury. Questionable, two in the defensive backfield, Travarius Ward at corner with a groin injury and Talanoa Hufanga at safety with a concussion. Pretty big injuries in their defensive backfield considering who they're facing. Um, this feels like a game 
that everyone's going to pick San Francisco to win, right? Kansas City just had that hard loss against Buffalo. Maybe that took a little out of them. Kansas City is walking into who knows what. They don't know what to expect on the defensive side of the ball. Is McCaffrey going to come out and catch a few screens? Is he going to come out and get some draws? Is is he barely going to play at all? Is it gamesmanship? I don't know. I do know that for some reason, I'm picking Kansas City here. Those injuries in the defensive backfield, look, those guys might play. I don't know. We're picking these games on a Saturday night, y'all. You do what you got to do. But the fact that those guys are battling injuries could be pretty big. And we saw Juju Smith-Schuster burst out a little bit, just a little bit, burst out a little bit against the Buffalo Bills. Will that continue? I don't know. Will the Chiefs lose two in a row? I can't put my finger on the last time that happened. I mean, yeah, can we talk about this Chiefs schedule? Look, I know the better teams in the league get the hard schedules, but... I mean, they had the Chargers in primetime off the rip, right? They played the Cardinals, then on short rest had to play the Chargers. Then they had Indy. Then they had Tampa. Now they had Buffalo, the 49ers. Then they have the Titans after a bye next week. Following week would be the game. Wow. Like, I know the schedule's hard, but, like, come on now. They still got both Broncos games left. They got a Jaguar game left. They got a Seahawk game left. Yikes. Anyway, uh, give me Kansas City, because why not, to win this one on the road. Excuse me, I think I said that was the lone 425 that's actually not accurate. We have a second 425 kick. The Seattle Seahawks are heading to the West Coast. Well, staying on the West Coast, I guess I should say, to take on the L.A. Chargers. Uh, Seahawks going to be without corner Isaiah Dunn with a hammy. Doubtful wide receiver Penny Hart with a hamstring as well. Guard Gabe Jackson with a knee slash hip and corner Artie Burns with a groin. Questionable wide receiver Tyler Lockett with a hammy. And corner Sidney Jones with a groin. Chargers going to be without wide receiver Josh Palmer. Running back Joshua Kelly. Tight end Donald Parham. And kicker and hero of last week's game, Dustin Hopkins. How do you kick on a bad hamstring? Well, when you're just that good, that's how. Questionable potential return this week, Keenan Allen. Coming back from that hamstring injury. As well as D-tackle Sebastian Joseph Day who's battling an ankle. I'm taking the Chargers to win this one. As much as this Seattle team has firepower, I I can't buy in on the Geno Smith thing. I, I've seen athletic articles. I've seen articles in plenty of things. Like, oh, Geno Smith, he's he's doing the damn thing. And it's like, no, dude, I, I can't buy in on that. I just can't. Can't do it. Sorry, Geno, and sorry, Seattle fan. I'm taking the Chargers to win at home. Speaking of returning from injuries, the Pittsburgh Steelers head to Miami to take on the Dolphins in Sunday Night Football, where reportedly Tua Tungavailoa will be back. Uh, Steelers going to be without Steven Sims and wideout, doubtful corner Akilo Witherspoon, uh, and questionable corner James Pierre. The Dolphins listing a whole bunch of players on the injury list. Doubtful, excuse me, the injury report. Thinking of baseball. Uh, doubtful, corner Keon Crossan. Questionable, their third-string QB, Skylar Thompson. Wide receiver, Jalen Waddell. Tight end, Durham Smythe. Tackle, Teron Armstead. Other tackle, Greg Little. Corner, Xavier Howard. Corner, Cater Kohu. D-lineman, Emmanuel Ogba. And D-lineman, Christian Wilkins. Now, that's a laundry list of injuries. I'm going to take the Dolphins to win this one, because I think with Tua back, especially at home, there should be a little bit of a momentum shift. Right where they get that that first big play and the crowd will really get into it and they should win this. But Pittsburgh's a gritty team. They always are. Wouldn't shock me if this was a sort of rerun of that infamous primetime game between Miami and Pittsburgh a few years back with Big Ben that was like, what, 10-9 or 7-6 or something. Maybe this game ends like 14-13 if that's the case, but no. Miami's got firepower. Give me Miami to win this one at home. Next, the Chicago Bears head to New England to take on the Patriots on Monday Night Football. No injury reports. Well, actually, no. Excuse me. We have an injury report for the Patriots. None for the Bears, though. The Patriots listing everybody as questionable. Uh, Mac Jones at QB. Kendrick Bourne and Nelson Aguilar at wideout. Offensive lineman Mike Okwanu. uh, Excuse me, Onwenu. uh, As well as offensive lineman Isaiah Wynn. D-lineman Christian Barmore and Lawrence Guy. Linebacker Josh Uche, corners Anthony Jennings, Jonathan Jones, Jalen Mills, and Sean Wade. All questionable. Thank you, that's very helpful, Bill. I appreciate it. 
Um, I'm taking New England to win this one. I'm. It's more that I think that the Patriots' defense against an offense that's not very good in Chicago is a favorable enough matchup that I don't necessarily have to worry about. Is Mac going to go? Um, will it be a little bit of a, a Bailey Zappy show? Will he have a great game? I don't know. It doesn't matter. Uh, this this Bears offense is not very good. And look, if they were able to shut down a Detroit offense that was flying pretty high, I think they should also be able to shut down a Bears offense, which is having some trouble getting off the ground. Next, our final game, as per usual, we're picking the Week 8 Thursday Night Football, and this one is a pretty darn good one, folks. The Baltimore Ravens head to Tampa Bay to take on the Buccaneers. Um, If we're being completely honest, both teams kind of hitting a scuffling spot. Uh, Baltimore's blown some leads. Tampa Bay, well, I mean, they lost to to Mitchell Trubisky. Um, (laughs) I'm taking Baltimore to win this one on the road with some good old-fashioned ball control. It could get a little spicy, considering the injuries that Baltimore has. You know, Marcus Peters nicked up a little. Could we see a big game out of Chris Godwin, maybe Mike Evans? It's possible. Maybe this is a game that, you know... Tom was yelling at his gang last week in Pittsburgh saying, hey, look, we got to get into gear. We got some games coming up. All right, fair enough. Wouldn't shock me. However, I'm going to take Baltimore to win this one on the road. That'll bring us to the end of the pick'em portion of this week's episode and the end in its entirety of episode number 146 of the Necessary Roughness podcast presented by Last Word on Sports. Once again, folks, my apologies for the fluctuating schedule. I know for the longest time we were Saturday afternoon, Saturday afternoon, Saturday afternoon. Then we were Friday evening, right? Now we're Saturday afternoon into Sunday morning. If it's your first episode or your 146th episode, I truly appreciate you tuning in. Um, Join us next weekend. Probably going to be back to Friday evening. Join us next weekend for the following episode. Enjoy the week of games. And as always... I'm your host, Nicholas Donatic, signing off.